0: This is Cross Hope with Randy Snyder. Cross Hope is broadcast daily and shares five minutes of hope and encouragement from the Word of God. Our companion website is www.crosshope.org. Now with today's uplifting message, here's Randy. Now, then, today we begin the final message in the James series. I'm not sure when you hear this what's going on with the coronavirus, the latest details, updates, etc. I'm sure we're still in this situation. We're praying for you. Pray for us as well. God bless you as you listen to part one of the final message from the book of James. Gary Richmond was a former zookeeper who wrote a book called The View from the Zoo. He talks about Animals and their stories, and their different backgrounds of animals. He talks about raccoons in particular. He said raccoons will go through a glandular change at about 24 months of age. After that, they often attack their owners. A 30-pound raccoon can be equal to a 100-pound dog in an attack. Gary, being a zookeeper, felt compelled to tell his young friend Julie about the changes she should expect from her pet raccoon. Julie listened politely, then gave a firm answer. It will be different for me, Gary. Bandit won't hurt me. He just wouldn't. Three months later, Julie underwent plastic surgery for facial laceration. She suffered when her adult raccoon Bandit attacked her for no reason at all. Bandit was then released back into the wild. Gary Richmond writes the next paragraph. Lots of things in life come dressed in adorable guises as we play with those things, tolerate them and embrace them, how easy it would be for us to say, it will be different for me. I can drink and still drive. I've done it before. I can do it again. It will be different for me. So often we think he says, I can do drugs and not become an addict. I can cheat on my spouse and not destroy my marriage. I can pal around with the wrong crowd and still be a Christian, etc., etc. It will be different for me. No, it won't be different for you because the results are predictable. Today we're going to talk about an intriguing subject that happens to be the subject of the last two verses of the book of James that we've been studying for 12 or 13 weeks, where James, interestingly enough, talks about people who wander away from the Lord, who wander away from the truth, who think, it won't happen to me, it will be different for me, I can do this or do that, the very things that Gary Richmond talks about in his book, A View from the Zoo. And have you ever been interested in when you get a letter from someone, the last thing they mentioned in the letter? Have you ever got a letter where you were intrigued by what they said in the P.S.? Sometimes the P.S. was the real reason they wrote you. It had nothing to do with the letter. They just wanted you to know that last thought. I'm not saying James did that, but it's intriguing to me that the last thoughts that James says in a letter to Jewish Christians that James wrote 2,000 years ago talks about those who wander from the truth. I think it'll have something to say to you today. It's in the book of James, the last chapter, the last two verses, verse 19. It goes like this. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Listen to that again. Remember this. or my brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And then one verse from the book of Galatians, a parallel passage that goes like this. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Listen to that again. If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore. It's the Greek word "katarizo." It's a, an orthopedic term, actually, resetting a bone. Restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Well, from time to time, we mentioned that we are producing these programs uh, a few weeks earlier than the actual airtime. Today would be the 19th of May. When you're hearing this, I'm not sure what will be transpiring in terms of the coronavirus. I'm not psychic, nor do I claim to be, but you do. If you're alive and well right now, you know what's going on in your community, in your state, in your region of the country. I hope that you're not distancing yourself from the living God, but you're close to him, maybe closer than you've ever been before. We continue this final message from the book of James with a message about bringing back people who have wandered away from the truth. That could be somebody you know. It could be you. God bless you as you listen. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. When I was in school at Cincinnati Christian University, one of my professors was the name of E. Ray Jones from Indianapolis, Indiana. He was talking about the parable of the prodigal son. You know the story, 400 words, the most famous story ever spoken about a man who had two sons. The younger son says, Dad, I want all my money. I want it now. Give it to me at my inheritance now. And he goes off into a far country and spends the money on wild living. Comes home and deeply resented and hated by his older brother because the father welcomes him home and said, This son of mine who was dead is now alive, and we must celebrate his homecoming. And my professor said this in class, I've got a problem with the parable of the prodigal son. So I went up to him after class, and I said, uh, Professor Jones, what do you mean you've got a problem with the parable of the prodigal son? He said, here's my problem. The story never tells us the grief that father went through. Jesus purposely didn't tell us the suffering that that father went through the nights that he spent up at night wondering, is my son even alive? Some of you have been there and done that. And you know the heartache that can come into your life because someone in your family, chooses to wander away from the truth spiritually, wander away from the Lord. And he said, that's why I've got a problem with it, because we don't know the heartache that that boy caused his father. And I thought it was an interesting observation and a true observation, but let me tell you this. When you wander from the truth of Jesus Christ, the Lord wants you back. He wants you to come home. And that's why James, for whatever reason, ends his letter with those words, if... Any of you, one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I want to talk about the word truth for a minute because it's so important. The Bible says we're to believe the truth, we're to live the truth, we're to accept the truth. But ultimately, in the Christian sense, truth is always connected to a person, Jesus Christ. Remember that. Christianity is not a concept, it's not a philosophy, it's not an idea, it's not a mindset. Christianity is a relationship to a personal God through Jesus Christ. And so when somebody wanders from the truth, what they're really doing is wandering away from the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, I think it's safe to say that we all know people that have wandered away from the truth, from Jesus Christ, and that someone, may be you or me, There may have been a time in your life where you wandered away from the Lord, and thank God you're back, not just in the group. You're not back in the fold. You're back with Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. We continue this final message tomorrow on Cross Hope. Our website, of course, is crosshope.org. Christianity is not a concept. It's not a philosophy. It's not an idea. It's not a a mindset. Christianity is a relationship to a personal God through Jesus Christ. And so when somebody wanders from the truth, what they're really doing is wandering away from the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I want to give you three two-word sentences today about reaching out to people that you know in your family, in your extended family, people you work with, who perhaps are in that situation of wandering from the truth. Let me give you the first one. What are we to do? Number one, we are to act humbly. We are to act humbly. We're to do something, but do it in humility. That's why Paul in Galatians says, if someone's caught up in a sin, you should restore them gently, but be careful, lest you will be tempted. For years, I always thought the temptation was, if I counsel somebody, who's got a drug problem, then, then my temptation is going to be the drugs. That's not what it means. You ever talk to someone with perhaps a problem with pornography or drugs or alcohol? That's not going to be your temptation just because you counsel them in that situation. I'll tell you what the temptation will be, to be filled with pride. To be filled with pride. When people help, they contend to get in a prideful attitude. Well, there's another problem, another situation I've got to help with. And I think the temptation that Paul was talking about is to act humbly because the temptation is to be full of pride. Be careful about anything in your life that makes you feel puffed up spiritually. Remember that. Notice what makes you feel puffed up spiritually and you feel proud, and that's the very thing that can bring a man or woman down. We're not to be proud in the way we act around people. The first thing we're to do is to act, to do something, to reach out to someone, but to do it in humility. The second two-word sentence is this, pray specifically. Last week, we talked about intercessory prayer. If you were here, you remember that, where you go to the Lord on behalf of someone else. Interesting story. I've got the note right here in my pocket. Kevin Carpenter from our congregation was here last week, heard the same message you did on intercessory prayer. If you can believe this, this week, some man that he works with came up to him and said, Have you ever heard of intercessory prayer? And Kevin said, Yeah. As a matter of fact, our minister talked about it Sunday, and he said, Why? And he said, I want you to pray for me. And I thought, Isn't that interesting? We talk about intercessory prayer on Sunday, and Kevin has somebody come up to him the next day or two and say, Have you ever heard of intercessory prayer? Do you know what that means? We're to pray specifically. What does that mean? You pray for specific people. And specific problems. When's the last time that you had such a burden for somebody that you were willing to commit to some time in intercessory prayer? There's nothing magical about doing this, but Annie and I, from time to time, will make what's called a 30-day prayer covenant with people. 30 days, we commit to pray for you every day for 30 days. Is there something magical about 30 days? Nothing. Is there something, you know, mystical about 30 days? No, it just happens to be what we've chosen, 30-day prayer covenant. There's power when you specifically pray for a person by name and you pray for a specific need. I said this last week, if you're a parent, the most important thing you do for your children is pray for them. It's not providing education. The most important thing you do for your child if you're a parent is not buy them new shoes every six months or buy them new clothes or make sure they have everything they want. The most important thing you do as a parent is to pray for your son to be in a right relationship with the God who made them. And I would add to that, pray for your daughter as well. Our website is crosshope.org. Go to that to listen to this message again or any message you may have missed on Cross Hope. Pray for your daughter to be in a right relationship with the God who made her. That's the most important thing. If you're married, the most important thing you do for your spouse is not keep them happy, whatever that means. You pray for them. You work at a company, the most important thing you do for your company is to pray for the people you work with. You're an employer, the most important thing you do for your employees, pray for them specifically. We act humbly, we pray specifically. And there's a third one I want to leave you this morning. It goes like this. We are to love intentionally. We're to love intentionally. What does it mean to love intentionally? To love intentionally, this may surprise you, but I believe it's possible for you to love people that you can't stand. I really believe that's possible. You say, I can't stand that guy at work, but through Jesus Christ, I'm going to intentionally love them. That's what it means. You decide to love somebody. That's intentional loving. When's the last time that you ever had to make a decision to love a person that you didn't like? I want to suggest to you, I think that's one of the distinctives about Christianity. Christ enables a man or woman to love people they wouldn't normally love. That's what Christ does. He enables us to love the unlovable. That's what He does. That's part of what the Lord does in our life. When you act humbly, you pray specifically and you love intentionally, you're going to do more to reach a person than anything else you do. I don't know if any of you have ever even heard this before, but I think some Christian people have the attitude that if somebody I know is wandering away from the Lord, I need to punish them with my withdrawal from them. I need to punish them by not speaking to them. I need to punish them by not doing this or doing that, thinking it's up to me to punish them. One day I woke up a few years ago that it's not my job to punish anybody. Vengeance is mine, says who? Me? The Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay, the Lord says. It's not your job to punish, it's your job to love and to pray and to act, and that's my job. Remember that? There's a phrase that I covered almost as an afterthought at the first service. I'll leave you with this. It says, when you restore someone, you cover over a multitude of sins. And for years, I thought that there was some measure of forgiveness either for the person or for me if I'm involved in restoring people. I don't think that's what it means. Jesus is the one who takes away sin. I don't. He's the one who forgives me of your sin or or my sin. He's the one who forgives me. Here's what I think it means. Have you ever known someone who's lived a rough life? And maybe you said this, if somebody could have just gotten to him 20 years ago, so much could have been prevented. If somebody could have got to my daughter five or ten years ago, so much grief would have been prevented. We all have those moments in life, and that's what I think it means, that when you act humbly and pray specifically and love intentionally and you reach into someone's life, you prevent not only sin from happening, but get this, you prevent a lot of grief. Think of the grief that's in your life just because of your mistakes and mine. Think about the follow-ups in your own life and think about the fallout from that and how other lives were impacted by choices that we made 20 and 30 years ago. Well, you are listening to this on May 21st, which is a Thursday. This program was produced several weeks earlier. So I'm not sure what's going on in terms of the coronavirus or the political or economic situation, but you are because you're living in the moment right now. God bless you as you seek to be close to the Lord during whatever happens in your life. Our website is crossover.org. That's crossover.org. One of the most powerful stories I've ever told from this pulpit is a story that I told by paraphrasing it. I didn't have it in front of me, and I just told you the story. Well, I'm going to read part of the story to you, word for word, the way the author intended it to be delivered. It's a minister author that I'm familiar with who said he went to the same barber shop for years, and he said he knew the owner, and went to that owner and got his hair cut. But he said there was a barber in the second chair who was the vilest, most profane talking person he'd ever met in his life. He said he literally wanted to put cotton in his ears when he was in the barber shop because he had to listen to the profanity and uh, the vulgarity of this second barber, an older man in his sixties. One day he said he came into the barber shop and the barber in the second chair, as he referred to them, was not there. he said, where's he at? What's happened to him? He said, oh, he's in bad shape. In fact, he almost died the other day. He was down at the hospital, and he told him a little bit about the medical situation. Here's where I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to read it as I wrap up. Six weeks after that encounter at the barber shop, as I was entering the post office, I heard a faint voice call my name. I turned, and I saw that profane barber. He was seated in a car, Someone had driven him uptown and parked the car so he could just watch people pass by. He was a mere shadow of a man, and his face was the color of death itself. Have you ever seen a person where you thought, all he needs to do is just fall down? He looks dead already. That's the way this man looked. He crooked a bony finger at me, and I walked over to where he was. He said in a voice so weak, I had to lean forward to catch the words, Preacher, preacher, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. Then the man went on. I was in a coma down there in the hospital. I couldn't move or see. They didn't know it, but I could still hear. And I heard the doctor tell my wife, I don't think he can last another hour. Can you imagine being on a table and someone's telling your spouse they're not going to last another hour? Then his voice trembled, so it was a moment before he could continue. Preacher, he said, I have never prayed in my entire lifetime, but I prayed then. I said, oh God, if there is a God, I need you now. And then I said that, I don't know how to put it into words, but all I can say is this, I was given an assurance that God was there. I was given an assurance that God was there. Then the tears welled up in his reddened eyes, and he said, oh preacher, just imagine, I've kicked God in the face every day of my life for 60 years. And the first time I called his name, he came. What a sentence. I've kicked God in the face every day of my life for 60 years. And the first time I called his name, he came. I want to suggest to you that part of that man's coming to the Lord happened because that minister acted humbly. He prayed specifically and he loved intentionally. And that was part of that man's coming back to the Lord. I did this in the first service. I just want you to picture somebody in your family, somebody in your extended family, somebody you work with, somebody you go to school with, somebody, picture somebody and say, Lord, I'm going to act humbly in trying to reach him or her for the Lord. I'm going to pray specifically for them, and I'm going to love intentionally, meaning I'm going to decide to love. We have the opportunity by acting humbly, praying specifically, to reach out to somebody and love them intentionally, to cover over a multitude of sins. That's the point. Decide today that you're going to think of that person, you're going to pray for that person, you're going to love that person, and you're going to act humbly because there's no room for pride in your heart or in mine. And our website is crosshope.org. crosshope.org. you've been listening to Cross Hope with Randy Snyder. For more information about this ministry or to re-listen to any message heard on this broadcast, go to our website at crosshope.org. Be sure to join us at this same time each weekday or listen at www.crosshope.org. Cross Hope is listener supported and is produced by Cross Hope Ministries Incorporated.